Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Ken Smith was a pastor in Syracuse, New York, when he got a call one day from a 36-year-old female professor at Syracuse University. Her name was Rosaria Champagne. Are you an evangelical, Rosaria asked Ken, and before he could answer, she asked a follow-up question, and what do you believe about the Bible? Dr. Champagne answered Ken, I think that question should be considered in front of our fireplace following one of my wife's good dinners. How does that sound? That sounds wonderful, answered Rosaria. And so began a friendship that culminated in a lesbian professor becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And in the process, she completely renounced her own old lifestyle. She later married a pastor, and today she is serving with him at a church in North Carolina. When I think of courage, I think of Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Imagine the condemnation that was heaped on her at Syracuse as she came out for Jesus. She has a PhD in English literature and cultural studies. She was the one who led the protests at the gay rights marches. Now she's leading the charge for the cause of Christ and the clear teaching of Scripture. You see, for the true Christian, there shouldn't be any debate at all. First thing that's bewildering to Rosaria is why any professing Christian would want to continue identifying themselves as gay. That, according to Dr. Rosaria, is a concept first used by Freud. She writes about this in her book, Openness Unhindered. It's an outstanding book. According to Dr. Rosaria, uh, Freud took the biblical category of a human being made in the image of God as male and female, and Freud replaced it with an invented category, that of sexual identity. Now, that was not an innocent move on Freud's part. Throughout his career, he had taught that belief in God was what he called a universal obsessional neurosis. In other words, you believe in God, you're mentally ill. Freud died in 1939. But today, his philosophy reigns supreme. When the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage in 2015, Rosaria says, all ontological hell broke out. What on earth does that mean? Ontology, you see is the study of being. Exactly who am I as a human being? All of America since 2015 has had an identity crisis. Who are we? Today I want to challenge you to walk with confidence, to walk in the word of God. If the Bible is not clear on this issue, the issue of sexuality, 
it isn't clear on any issue. Because sex is presented in the scriptures as something you do, not who you are. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Every one of those categories is based on something you do. When you are no longer doing it, swindling, you are no longer a swindler. Well, that's not my opinion. That's the, it's not the opinion of any person. This is God's word, and it's, it's either true or it isn't true. Any genuine Christian will accept this as true in the same way they accept the fact that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. Today, I want to challenge you to do what Rosaria does, to walk with confidence, to walk with courage as a follower of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, we're given three reasons that we can have courage as believers. And the first reason we can have courage is because God is always present. God is always present. He's right here today. He's with you. Jesus said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Verse one. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. He's talking about going through the Red Sea here. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. He's foreshadowing something here in the New Testament. Before we go any further, let me put 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in its context. In our last sermon, chapter 8, we focused on the issue of humility. And that's because Christians are free to do whatever the Bible does not forbid as being morally wrong. We have a lot of freedom. We looked at this last week. We have a lot of freedom about what movies we will watch and who we vote for and whether I can drink a beer with my friends. Now in chapter nine, the apostle Paul talks about how he lives this out himself. He knows he has a lot of freedom, but he refrains from certain activities so as not to be a stumbling block to another believer. Now when we come to chapter 10, Paul points out, even though we have a lot of freedom, that freedom never extends to matters that are crystal clear in Scripture. What God says is right, it's always right. What God says is wrong, it's always wrong. It does not change. In the first four verses in chapter 10, Paul also makes us a solemn promise. As long as you live in obedience to God, 
God's going to bless the socks off you, especially when it's not easy to obey. Do you ever have times when it's not easy to do the right thing? And boy, I sure do. <laughs> when things aren't going my way, I, I, I can very easily become a grumbler. Ooh. And I'll tell the Lord, that stinks, Lord. Why don't you go pick on the Mormons? I'm one of the good guys. You ever say stuff like that? I know we're supposed to rejoice always, but sometimes Pastor Denny doesn't feel like rejoicing. Okay? So I grumble and complain, and I have to fight to find my joy in the Lord again. It's not easy. In verse 1, Paul talks about when his forefathers, the Israelites, when they left the land of Egypt back in the Old Testament. It wasn't easy for them. They had a lot of nice things they left behind. And when they got out in the desert, oh, they were quick to remind Moses about all that they left behind. Some of them wanted to go back. And they whined and they complained and they murmured. And yet, Paul is pointing out here, whenever they did the hard thing, whenever they obeyed, oh, God blessed them and he revealed his presence to them. In fact, he guided them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's what Exodus 13, 21 says. And when they came to the Red Sea, God performed the greatest miracle in Jewish history. He parted the Red Sea. Would you like to have been there? Deeper, deep, and deeper into the wilderness the Israelites went, but God was with them. He was with them every step of the way. When they were hungry, God rained down manna from heaven. They asked for meat. God sent ravens for them to feast on. When they were thirsty, God made water pour out of a rock. In verse 4, Paul points out that when God did this miracle of providing water from a rock, it foreshadowed something. It foreshadowed a Savior who would come and he would offer them living water. That's why verse 4 says, that rock was Christ. Do you remember when Jesus told the Samaritan woman, if you drink of the water I offer you, you will never thirst again. Today the Lord says to each of us, you choose to live in obedience to me, even when it's not easy, I'm going to bless the socks off you. It's not always easy to obey the Lord. When your friends are sleeping around and you're not, it's human nature to ask yourself, am I missing out on something? When it seems like everyone's getting married and you're not, it's easy to lower your standards, isn't it? When your friends are telling you, oh, you must be gay because you're such a tomboy, it's easy to wonder, well, maybe I am gay. <laughs> maybe I need to check this out. It's hard to stand alone. It's hard to be labeled as a Bible banger, as a Jesus freak. 
When the pressure is on to conform, it's hard. Can you imagine what Dr. Rosaria went through at Syracuse University? She lost everything. She, she lost her job. She, had, she, had, she was disowned by her own community. Throughout history, theologian Richard Niebuhr, in his book Christ and Culture, has described five different ways that people have responded to the pressure to conform. It's very interesting. First, Niebuhr says there's the Christ of culture person. They simply just change their beliefs. You know, the culture comes around and says this. They just change their beliefs and they go with the flow. That's, folks, what the Bible calls the heretic, the traitor. Okay? In, in, in the time of Christ, they were the Sadducees. They, uh, they just, uh, they abandoned Jewish, the Jewish faith, and uh, they became followers of Rome, okay? They were just traitors. Now, second, there's the Christ against culture. This person demonizes the opposition. They attack as the enemy. We might call this person the gunslinger. The Crusader, and uh, if you're watching the Chosen series, you know, these guys are the zealots, you know? I was watching, I think it was episode seven of season three, and, and the, uh, the uh, Sons of Thunder stood up, and they wanted to knock some heads around, okay? And Jesus said, okay, uh, we don't need any thunder here. <laughs> you, guys can, you guys can be seated. You know, they, they, that, that's, that's the zealots. And of course, there was Simon, Simon the zealot, okay? Always ready to draw his sword. Let's fight him. Third, there's the Christ above culture. We just kind of float over the culture. And uh, this person is the chameleon, you know? He's with his Christian friends. He acts one way. He's with his non-Christian friends. He acts another way. And uh, sort of reminds you of Peter in the book of, of Galatians. Uh, with the Jews, he was one way. And then with the Gentiles, he was acted another way. And the Apostle Paul came along and he called him on it. Fourth, there's the Christ in culture in paradox. This is the negotiator. Always negotiating to get the best deal possible the consummate politician, perfectly willing to split the difference and call it good, you know? You always see these guys in the pro-life movement, you know? It's like, uh, well, we're always making these exceptions. Well, is, you know, is a life a life or is it not, you know? Uh, fifth, there's the Christ-transforming culture. This is the person who speaks biblical truth. He does it with courage, and he does it with kindness. He's a beautiful blend of grace and truth. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but 
overcome evil with good. This is the overcomer. That's how Daniel lived, the book of Daniel, okay, when he was in Babylon. So Joseph lived in the book of Genesis when he was in Egypt. It's how Joshua lived, you know, when he led the people of Israel in the book of Joshua. It's how Moses led, lived, and this is how the disciples lived in the book of Acts. Heartland family, this is our calling. God calls us to overcome the darkness of this world with the light of God's truth. And if we are faithful in doing that, God promises us, as he did the Israelites, he will be with us no matter what. God is always present. Let's move to the second reason we can have courage It's because sin is always punished. That's really true. Uh, You're forgiven of your sin, but you will live with the consequences of your sin. God is not mocked, right? Whatever a person sows, that shall he also reap. You know, as one of my professors at seminary said, you can't unscramble the egg, you know? There's certain things that have happened and, uh, you know, Uh, You will bear the consequences of that. Verse 5 says, Nevertheless, in spite of the fact that God's presence and power was so tangible, in spite of the fact that they saw miracle after miracle, in spite of that, God was not pleased with most of them. That's what it says. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. You can read what happened to the Israelites in the book of Exodus. In the book of Numbers, they were up and then they were down. They were hot and then they were cold. Until it finally got to the place where God decided, I'm going to have to kill the whole generation off. They they need to die off before we can enter the promised land with a whole new group of people who will be obedient to me. Today, God wants their story to be an object lesson to us. That's why it's said here in 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 6 says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then he gives four examples of that. The first is idolatry. Verse 7 says we're not to have any idols. And of course, we don't make idols today. But we have idols, don't we? Okay? Uh, Your car can be your idol. Your house can be your idol. Success can be your idol. Okay, we have idols today. Verse 7 says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Now what's this talking about? This is a quote from Exodus 32.4 where Moses was up on Mount Sinai And he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And meanwhile, unbelievably, the high priest Aaron, down below, is making a golden calf. And he has the gall to say to the people, these are your gods, this golden calf. And uh, the Hebrew word is Elohim, the general word that's used for the one you worship. 
O Israel, these gods brought you up out of Egypt. He points to the golden calf. Can you imagine that? Aaron was telling them that this golden calf is what brought them out of Egypt. And then Aaron announces to the people, tomorrow there's going to be a festival to the Lord. And he uses the Hebrew word Yahweh there. The one true God of Israel. And then at this festival the next day they offered not to the Lord sacrifices. They offered sacrifices to this thing. The golden calf. And then the Bible says afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, we know what that is. There's one big orgy. Okay? Do we have idols today? How about the idol of political correctness? How about the idol of secular approval? Several years ago, we had a lady come with us to Israel. She was a leader in a mainline denomination. Ironically, the same denomination that founded Asbury University, where they're having this great revival now. Okay? The Methodist Church went two directions there. There's the faithful adherents of Methodism today that are the people that are represented at Asbury University, and there's the unfaithful representatives, okay? This lady came to Israel with us. She loved her church, but she finally said, you know, she said, Pastor Denny, she said, I'm getting tired. She didn't live in our area here. She said, I'm getting tired going to our conferences. Every year, same thing, arguments, debate, over homosexuality, every year. She said, and every year, we go one step further than we did the year before. Now, this was her interpretation. First, she said, we approved, we're gonna dialogue about this. You know, we're gonna be tolerant, and we're gonna dialogue about homosexuality. She said, then the next year, they approved a commission. We're gonna study this issue. We're gonna study it and study it and write papers. Then she said, then the next year, we approve civil unions. Oh, it's okay. You can't marry, but you can, you can have a civil union. And then she said the next year, we approved gay pastors, but they had to be celibate. Okay? They couldn't, they couldn't engage. Okay? So they had to be celibate. She said then the next year, they just removed everything. And now the pastors didn't have to be celibate. So men pastors could marry men pastors, and, or men, and the women could marry other women, and so forth. Now before we're too hard on the mainline denominations, you know folks, we need to take a good look in the mirror, don't we? Because we all struggle with this, with wanting to conform to the world around us. We don't want to stick out. We don't want people pointing at us laughing at us, mocking us, making fun of our posts on social media. We don't want that. The Israelites, they continually battled this. The next example that's given is all-out sexual immorality. All pretense of worshiping Yahweh was gone. So you had idolatry first, and you had sexual immorality. And there was no more pretending at this point, verse 8 says, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. 
Now, this is referring to another situation that occurred with the Israelites. It's found in Numbers chapter 25, which says this, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. And the people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined them in worshiping the Baals of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. You know what, folks? Don't ever start to wonder if God sees what's going on today. Nothing escapes his, his vision. God sees every time we give ground to the enemy of our souls. He sees every Christian family. He sees every Christian church. He sees every Christian university that keeps watering down the truth of God's word until there's nothing left. Doesn't escape God's notice. So I want to challenge you today, don't go there. When Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel in Acts 4, you know what they told the authorities? They said, we must obey God rather than men. Jesus calls us the church. The Greek word is the ecclesia. It means the called out ones. He calls us out of this world to be distinct. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. You see, the Israelites, they love to test God. That brings us to the third example. They were constantly testing God to see what they could get away with. So, verse 9, it says, we should not test the Lord, as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. Now, again, this is a third incident that the Israelites went through. It's found in Numbers 21.4. The Israelites traveled from Mount Hor along the the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. And they spoke against God, and they spoke against Moses, and they said, Moses, why on earth have you brought us out uh, up out of Egypt to die in this desert? There's no bread, Moses. There's no water. This detestable food, we hate it. Manna, manna, manna. The Israelites were perennial complainers. No, we're never like that, right? (laughs) They were murmurs. They were grumblers. Every parent knows what that's like. We had the littles with us, our grands, you know, the last couple days. You know, we know what this like, Right? I mean, you're in the car. Are we there yet, Dad? Are we, are we there yet? I'm tired of water. I want Mountain Dew. You ever hear that? The Bible tells us that God is a patient father. And he rains down manna from heaven. And he causes water to flow out of a rock. And he causes a wind to blow thousands of quails so they could have meat. But they wanted more. And they they reminded God, oh, Lord, we had fish 
in Egypt. We had fish, Lord. We, we had cucumbers, and we had melons, and we had fruits and vegetables. I'm not making this up, guys. This is really in there. They, they did. They complained about this. Oh, the melons in Egypt. You know, they, that's, what, that's the way they talked. And finally, even the great patience of our heavenly father was exhausted and God sent them poisonous snakes, which led to many of them dying. Do you ever test God? Do you ever nibble around the edges of sin thinking, oh, God wouldn't notice this, this little insignificant issue? But Proverbs 5.21 says, your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all of your paths, not some of them, all of them. Now, there's a fourth example that's given as an object lesson to us, and it was out-and-out out rebellion. Verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Now, this is a fourth incident that happened to the Israelites. Do you see why God, you know, he, he finally just killed off the whole generation in the desert. Started over again. So this is a fourth incident, number 16. Three key leaders rebelled against Moses and got all the people worked up. And God actually caused the ground to open up. Read this in Numbers chapter 16. The ground opened up and swallowed people, the rebels. And then fire fell from heaven and killed 250 more of them. And the people still kept complaining. Now, I think I'd stop complaining after the earth opened up. <laughs> you know, I think that would do it for me. But it didn't do it for them. You know, they still kept on complaining. We want cucumbers, you know? And so God sent the death angel and killed 14,700 of them. You know what, Hardland family? These four examples, they are a solemn warning to us. Sin is always punished. Don't play with it. Much of the time, it happens... In this life, uh, the, the punishment that is, but even if somehow you escape punishment in this life, you will be punished in the life to come unless you go to the Lord with a broken and contrite spirit, just as David did after his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. Now, this leads right into the third reason. We can have courage. We can have courage because God is always present, because sin is always punished. We can have courage because escape is always provided. Always, always, always there is a way of escape. Verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 
When Sue and I were doing youth ministry at our first church, we actually did youth ministry for nine years. Loved it. And I would challenge our students to memorize this verse. I said, this verse is going to go with you your entire life. And you're going to apply it over and over and over again. In fact, I have very fond memories. At the time, I was training for Grandma's Marathon. And I would have one of our students ride his bike alongside me. And we would recite this verse over and over again. So whenever I see this verse, I think of Grandma's Marathon. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful, okay? Over and over and over again. The promise that God makes in this verse, it's absolutely amazing that God will always, always, always provide a way of escape when we are faced with temptation. And the way of escape is always there. Whether you take that way of escape is up to you. But it's always there. I love the way Sean McDowell begins his book, A Rebel's Manifesto. This is a great book for youth, by the way. And uh, Sean McDowell is the son of Josh McDowell, uh, one of my spiritual heroes. And I like to watch him all the time on YouTube. He's, he's just awesome. And it's a great book for youth. It's a great book for the parents of youth. The subtitle is Choosing Truth, Real Justice, and Love Amid the Noise of Today's World. So first chapter, Sean gives two examples of young ladies who are faced with temptation. The first is a gal named Jana. And uh, she's just starting out in college and just making friends and so forth. And her professor, secular college, gives her an assignment to review a pornographic film and write a, write a paper about it. Well, the last thing she wanted to do was make a big stink about this. So uh, she, uh, but she knew, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. God doesn't want me to do this. So she prayed. She approached the professor privately. She said, I want to offer a counterproposal to you. I want to write a paper on why I believe I should be excused from this assignment because of my Christian convictions. Will you allow me to do that? The professor reluctantly agreed. She wrote a four-page paper. She handed it in. And amazingly, the professor not only accepted it, he had, it, he had her read it in front of the whole class. Now, can you imagine this? And get this, nearly half the class followed her lead. Okay? You know what this tells us? One person standing for God can make an enormous difference. Don't ever say, well, I'm just one person. You can make an enormous difference. Jenna's story reminds me of a speech class I took at Brainerd Community College. And the professor said at the beginning of the class, he said, I don't want any speeches on politics or religion, which were my two favorite subjects. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, oh, man, I, you know, I started praying to the Lord. I said, oh, Lord, I really want to do some uh, speeches about the Lord and spiritual things and so forth. And Lord, I pray that you would give me favor with this professor. And by God's grace, every speech I did in that class was about politics or religion. 
and I ended up getting an A in the class, okay? Now, sometimes God gives us positive outcomes like that, and we all love them, right? When, it, when things, you know, and, 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 the, and, and it all ends up going great, and, and we love those. Jana loved that. I love that, you know. But you know what? It doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't. I close with this. The second example that Sean McDowell gave was Jaylene Henkel, this young lady right here. She was America's top-rated fullback as she tried out for the World Cup women's soccer team. She was top-rated until she refused to wear the jersey that was sporting rainbow colors in celebrating gay pride. Some of her friends said, oh, Jaylene, you know, this, it's just a jersey. You know, I, this is no big deal. Well, she wrote on her Instagram post, this young lady. She said, quote, I believe with every fiber in my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. And this world may change, but Christ and his word will never, never in caps, will never change, unquote. You know what happened? No rosy outcome, okay? From that time on, wherever Jaylene uh, played, she received jeers and boos from the crowd. And because of her convictions, she lost her chance at winning a World Cup. But hear this. It's not the end of the story. God writes the end of the story. And that's what he does in Hebrews chapter 11. All of the heroes of the faith, Noah and Abraham and Moses and Samson and all these different ones, the heroes of our faith are all their exploits are described. But you know what? Not all of them died as heroes. Because this is how the chapter ends, chapter 11. It ends like this, quote, Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging Still others were chained, and they were put into prison, and they were stoned, and they were sawed in two, and they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Many of them, no one ever knew their name. Their stories were not recounted over and over again. 
these are the Coptic Christians in Egypt, okay, that were massacred. Uh, they were martyred. Uh, this just happened a few years ago. You might remember this picture right here. You see, that last verse there in Hebrews 11, verse 40, is one of my favorite verses because it says, God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now get this, in God's economy, Jaylene may have actually ended up in better shape than Jana did. Both of them made the right choice. Both of them made a choice that honored the Lord, but Jana was blessed in this life. She was honored, but Jaylene, <laughs> I think the Lord has something even better in store for her. Either way, God calls us to walk confidently, and God calls us to walk with courage. Are you ready to do that?